Hello and welcome to Misinformation, the trivia podcast for ladies and gents who love cool trivia and sticking it to annoying teams at Pub Quiz. We're your hosts. I'm Lauren. And I'm Julia. Hey, Julia. I'm just kind of picturing like sleigh bells in the background of that intro. Maybe we'll drop that in there. Oh, that'd be perfect. Yes. Um, Because as you know, and I know, it's December. It's December. The the most festive month of the year. Yes. And we, thanks to a very astute uh, listener, we now have a theme for December. Yes. And it is not dictators. It's not dictators. (laughs) No, never again, you guys. But this, uh, many thanks to um, Twitter user Incognito Perito, who uh, suggested Divine December. Mm. And so we were like, that's perfect. Everyone should have a Divine December. Better than you expected, beautiful, sparkling, festive, just divine. You know, wear a sequence whenever you have the chance. Absolutely. Because if you wear that in the middle of July, you look like a crazy person. Or you know what? Do what you want to do. It's it's you know it's twenty. It's going to be twenty twenty two. Who cares? It's divine December, and you deserve it. So, because of the divineness of this month, I of course immediately my topic today. I immediately went to the divine Miss M, Bet Midler. You mean Macaroni Midler? <laughs> no, not Macaroni Midler, but she is. Uh, she was in that episode of Seinfeld, which we will get to. <laughs> it's one of my favorite episodes of of Seinfeld. But um, Bette Midler has always uh, reminded me of my mother. Okay, because she's tiny and brassy and outgoing and cute. Uh, Bette Midler is five foot one, which I think is my mother's exact height. Um. And uh, she's just she's just a powerhouse. So let's let's talk about Bet. Um, so she was born in Honolulu, Hawaii. Uh, huh. Yeah, on December first, nineteen forty-five. So perfect, divine December. Perfect timing. Yeah. Um, her family was one of the few Jewish families in a mo- mostly Asian neighborhood. So she was kind of like a little bit of a fish out of water. Um, she was named after actress Betty Davis. Um, though, as you know, Betty Davis pronounced her first name with two syllables and Midler just used Bet. Okay. Um, she was, uh, she attended Radford High School in Honolulu and she was voted most talkative in the 1961 school Haas election and most dramatic in her senior year, which was the class of 1963. So you're already kind of getting a sense of what her personality was even at an early age. Uh, she majored in, majored in drama at the University of Hawaii. Uh, but she left after three semesters, and she actually earned money in the 1966 film Hawaii as an extra, uh, playing an uncredited seasick passenger named Miss David Buff. And so, <laughs> I know. <laughs> it's uncredited, but she got a full backstory. She, she had a full backstory. She threw up over the side of the ship, and that was that was the beginning of her taste of stardom, I guess, <laughs> weirdly enough. So, <clears throat> using this money... She moved to New York City in the summer of 65. That's that's how she kind of like got <laughs> out of Honolulu. Um, she studied theater at HB Studio under Uta Hagen, and she landed her first professional onstage role in an off-Broadway off play, actually two plays in 65. Um, one was a children's play during the day, and the other one was an adult show at night. So she was like <laughs> burning the candle at both ends. 
Also from 1966 to 69, she played the role of Zedel in Fiddler on the Roof on Broadway. So she started off as kind of a Broadway baby. Um, famously, she began singing in the Continental Baths, uh, which is a gay bathhouse in the Ansonia Hotel in the summer of 1970. Um, the Continental Baths, and this is interesting. So the Continental Baths was actually a, um, like it was a unique situation where it was a bathhouse, but there were bunk beds and, uh, a stage and a fountain and like there was a cafe and you like you got <clears throat> a membership and like bathhouses were kind of a big thing in the late sixties and early seventies when um, like there was a real movement toward like gay liberation where uh, gayness was kind of becoming sort of mainstream. So the continental baths were like the place to be so much so that by the mid seventies, like, straight people were coming to like sit in at on these like like stage plays or like stage performances and they would get like major stars to come and sing and perform and all sorts of things and everybody just wore a white towel i was going to say yeah <laughs> is everybody just naked basically like everyone wore a towel um because that's what you wear in a bathhouse because it's steamy and you know you're probably going to be having some sex so is um, like the cafe and the stage and all the stuff just like surrounded by like showers yeah <laughs> like showers and hot tubs and baths and a big beautiful pool um i guess uh when she would perform she would constantly like complain about the stupid waterfall that kept like oh my god <laughs> it, like kept interrupting her performances because it was just like shh in the background constantly oh she's like this gosh. stupid fucking waterfall is making me crazy that's pretty bananas. I know, it's very weird. I'm going to do a sidebar. So you mentioned the Please. Ansonia Hotel. So that is the inspiration for the Arconia, which was the um, set for um, Only Murders in the Building on oh. from this year with Steve oh Martin my gosh. and Martin Short and, of course, Selena Gomez, which you wouldn't think that they would all be best friends, but they are. Apparently, they are best friends. And there's a rumor that Selena Gomez is going to show up on Steve Martin's next album. Like, he, she's like duetting with him on a couple of songs, which is very sweet. That's cute. Anyway, that was the sidebar because I just no, that's, I learned about mm. that and I was like, that feels interesting. I should pass that along. Yeah, that's great. So, yeah, that's just so you know, the Ansonia Hotel had a very famous bathhouse called the Continental Baths. So she would perform there on the regular. And this is where she really got her start. And this is where she really got her like core audience. Mm -hmm. um, she also became close to her piano accompanist, um, who a little guy named Barry Manilow. Uh, and he produced her first album in 1972, which was called the divine miss M. And they were friends for, you know, decades. They've been mm -hmm. friends for years and years and years. So, um, yeah, so this is when she really started to build up this core gay following. And in the late nineties, during the re during the release of her album, bathhouse, Betty, um, she commented on her time performing there saying, despite the way things turned out with the AIDS crisis, I'm still proud of those days. I feel like I was at the forefront of the gay liberation movement and I hope I did my part to help it move forward. So I kind of wear the label of bathhouse Betty with pride. And the fact of the matter is, is that this, um, I read like there was an article in, um, I think it was AV club or something. And there was an older gay man who made a comment and he said, you know, it cannot be, overstated how devastating the AIDS crisis was to the gay liberation movement. Like, mm -hmm. like there were bathhouses that were 
national, like they were franchises. Like you could buy a membership and then you could go anywhere in the country and you could, you know, show your membership. And it was becoming more mainstream, like gay culture and and gay people were becoming more mainstream. And then the AIDS crisis hit Mm -hmm. and then they became um, kind of demonized because it was, you know, a gay disease and then it it was forced underground. And also like an entire generation of gay men died. Mm -hmm. So it was this kind of uh, like a cutoff point of what could have been like this incredible generation of artists and musicians and writers and all these people who died too young that didn't get the chance to like make their mark on the world. And this is something that there's still like a hole in that culture and that we have, you know, like this idea of we have no elders because the majority of them died right. during the AIDS crisis. So, um, Bette Midler lost a lot of friends and collaborators and, and, you know, people that she was very close to, um, very early in her career. Mm-hmm. And so that was something that affected her very deeply. I mean, she didn't talk about it very often, but it was definitely something that, you know, she, she is, uh, you know, a gay icon still, um, even though she's kind of gone like kind of schmaltzy, but you know, people <laughs> still, people still love her because she was, you know, part of that, you know, beginning of the gay liberation movement. Um, so she starred in the first professional production of the Who's rock opera, Tommy, in 1971. And it was actually during the run of Tommy that she first appeared on The Tonight Show. So she was an absolute favorite of Johnny Carson and went on to went on to appear on The Tonight Show several more times during Carson's tenure. And she was one of the performers invited to his last show. Oh, wow. So we'll talk about that more uh, a little bit later. So... Um, She released her debut album, The Divine Miss M, on Atlantic Records in 72. It was co-produced by Barry Manilow, as I mentioned before. It reached Billboard's top 10 and became a million-selling platinum-certified album, earning her the 1973 Grammy Award for Best New Artist. So it had three hit singles, Do You Want to Dance, Friends, and Boogie Woogie Bugle Boy. Um, That was (laughs) her first number one adult contemporary hit. So... It was basically, Bugle Boy was a successful rock cover of the classic swing tune originally introduced and popularized by the Andrews sisters in 1941. Mm-hmm. And she would repeatedly refer to them as her idols and her inspiration as far back as her first appearances on The Tonight Show. And Midler told Carson in an interview that she always wanted to move like the sisters. And um, Patty Andrews remembered um, when I first heard the introduction on the radio, I thought it was our old record. When <laughs> Bette opened at the amphitheater in Los Angeles, Maxine and I went backstage to see her. Maxine, the other one of her other Andrew sisters. Her first words were, what else did you record? During another Midler concert, Maxine went on stage and presented her with an honorary bugle. And Bette <laughs> recorded other Andrew sister hits, including In the Mood and Lullaby of Broadway. So she was like, she loved that kind of like, you know, USO. Jazzy, yeah. Yeah, jazzy. Like, you know, let's, let's, you know, Encourage the boys out on the. (laughs) So um, she was really into like that kind of like retro cutesy kind of thing. So she had a self-titled follow-up album released at the end of 73. And again, the album was co-produced by Manilow and it reached Billboard's top 10 and eventually sold close to a million copies in the U.S. So she returned to recording with the 76 and 77 albums, Songs for the New Depression and Broken Blossom. And in 74, she received a special Tony Award for her contribution to Broadway. So from 75 to 78, she also provided the voice of Woody the Spoon on the PBS educational series Vegetable Soup. So that's a deep cut, mm, but there you I'm go. I'm not familiar with that program. No. Yeah, it wasn't a, not a classic that you see in like a, you know, 50th anniversary special of PBS or whatever. 
They couldn't really um, market any toys to go along with that, I assume. No, no not a lot of soup-based children's toys out there, unfortunately. I feel like we need to corner the market on that. Um, she had a television special in 1977 called Old Red Hair is Back. It was a takeoff on Frank Sinatra's Old Blue Eyes is Back. Mm-hmm. Um, it featured guest stars Dustin Hoffman and Emma Kelly. <laughs> like, Dustin Hoffman just, like, showed up, I guess. <laughs> famous singer? Yeah. Dustin, famous- is this right when he got off of Star Wars? I- <laughs> I'm just going to continue to make Seinfeld references yeah. for the rest yeah, of the Yeah, no, episode. it's very good. Yeah, Dustin Hoffman was in, Sein- uh, it was in Star Wars. Yeah, I don't know what, like, Dustin Hoffman is not known for his, like, comedy voice. or singing voice or whatever. I think he just, like, showed up and said hi to Bette, gave her a kiss, and, like, walked off, maybe. Um, it actually went on to win the Emmy Award for Outstanding Special Comedy Variety or Music. Mm. So she made her first movie, and I, I would say that her... her I knew her as a child more as like a movie star than like a musician, I guess. Mm-hmm. But her first movie was in 1979, um, starring in the 60s era rock and roll tragedy called The Rose. So she was a drug addicted rock star modeled after Janis Joplin. Oh. Um, so that year, she also released her fifth studio album called. <laughs> she released. <laughs> it's called Thighs and Whispers, Julia. Her fifth studio album is called Thighs and Whispers. It was um, actually a disc. <laughs> it was a disco album. It was a commercial and critical failure. Uh, it became her all-time lowest charting album. Uh, but soon afterwards, she started a world concert tour with one of her shows in Pasadena, being filmed and released as the concert film *Divine Madness* in 1980. So her performance in *The Rose* earned her a nomination for Academy Award for Best Actress. Um, she also won the Golden Globe for Best Actress, and the. Uh, Film's acclaimed soundtrack sold over 2 million copies in the United States alone. It earned a double platinum certification. The single version of the title song, um, which is just called The Rose, held the number one position on Billboard's adult contemporary chart for five consecutive weeks and reached number three on Billboard's Hot 100. And it earned her her first gold single and won the Grammy Award for Best Pop Vocal Performance. Um, She has not quite egotted yet. Okay. She has an Emmy, a Grammy, and a Tony. Okay. Well, she has several Grammys, um, but she has not won an Oscar. So very close. Maybe she's um, not trying hard enough. <laughs> maybe, <laughs> maybe, maybe she, she you know should what? apply herself. Better. Yeah, maybe she should work harder. She seems so far it seems like she's very lazy. But that's <laughs> maybe just me. Um she worked she d- did not do great at like choosing film projects. Mm, okay. <laughs> It was kind of hit and miss. She worked on this comedy project called Jinxed in 81. It was a release in 82 and it was a huge flop. And so she stopped appearing in films until 1986. Um, but she was an early choice for Miss Hannigan in Annie in the 82 Hanny, uh, which would have been great. But it, She would have been great. But I think Carol Burnett's like tall, gangly presence in that really I, made, helped make the role. I get little girls, little girls in my head. Once a week. <laughs> Swear to God. It's usually um, when you're telling that gaggle of children to clean your Yeah, I'm like, let the apartment. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. When I have my, you know, my my indentured children servants scrubbing the floors in my house and filling the bathtub with gin. Um, so during those four years, she kind of more concentrated on her music career and in released and and in 1983 released the album No Frills. Um she also Released an all comedy album, 
with a couple of songs in there uh, called Mud Will Be Flung Tonight in 1985. Um, she performed on USA for Africa's 1985 fundraising single, We Are the World. Who didn't? Uh, I know, right? We Her were probably like, on that. I know, I was, <laughs> I was on it as an infant. Um, she also participated at the Live Aid event at uh, JFK Stadium in Philadelphia. And then in 85, she signed a multi-picture deal with the Walt Disney Studios. And then she starred in a successful string of films produced by the studio's newly formed Touchstone Picture Division. Mm. Um, she also produced them through her production banner, which is called All Girl Productions. Um, and she was subsequently cast by director Paul Mazursky in Down and Out in Beverly Hills. And that's when she began this successful comedic acting career. So she made a couple more touchstone comedies, uh, Ruthless People in 86, Outrageous Fortune in 87, and Big Business in 88. Um, she voiced the character Georgette in uh, Oliver and Company. Remember the, the oh, Oliver and Company? yeah. Disney movie, yeah. Um, and then, of course, she had a hit with the tearjerker Beaches, co-starring Barbara Hershey. Uh, I love that movie. <sighs> Will you it's tell so me what it, what's the plot on that one? So... Bette Midler is like a brassy redhead who becomes very close friends with like the quiet and reserved Barbara Hershey. I think in college, it's been a very long time since I've seen it. And they, and she becomes, Bette Midler becomes like a famous actress or a singer or something like that. And Barbara Hershey is always like kind of in her shadow a little bit and they fight and they get back together and they fight and Barbara Hershey like has a terrible life and she has a daughter and then she gets cancer and then Bette Midler has to like, nurse her back to health and like take care of her daughter and all these things. And this is where the song wind beneath my wings comes from. Yes. Because the, the story of the song is basically the plot of the movie. Like if you listen to the song, that's, that's, I hate to tell you, <laughs> okay, spoiler alert. If you've ever that's heard helpful. the lyrics to wind beneath my wings, that's the plot of beaches. Now, are there any beaches in beaches? Yes. I think they meet on a beach or they end up on a beach there are some beaches. Because you told me there's no mermaids and mermaids or no, something. No, but there are beaches and beaches. There there's beaches at least two beaches. beaches. Yeah. Okay. It may have been like <laughs> two beaches. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's the beaches plural is, you know, it's it's accurate. <laughs> I think they like maybe meet in Hawaii and then they end up like in New York, like on Long Island or something. I don't know. It's <laughs> been a very long time since I've seen it. It's worth seeing. It's a perfectly lovely 80s movie. Bette Midler does a great job. Barbara Hershey is, you know, luminous. It's perfectly fine. Um, the soundtrack remains Bette Midler's all-time biggest-selling album. It reached number two on Billboard's album chart, and then it sold four million copies in the U.S. It featured, as I mentioned before, Wind Beneath My Wings, her biggest hit, which went to number one on Billboard's Hot 100 achieved platinum status and won her her third Grammy Award for Record of the Year. I would argue that the name of your album would lead to its success because it'd be very hard to ask your parents to go. Uh, it's a lot easier to ask your parents to buy you the, the album soundtrack to Beaches versus, hi, I would like thighs and whispers, please. <laughs> know, right? Like, hi, do you have a copy of thighs My and whispers? My 16-year-old daughter would <laughs> like a copy of thighs and whispers. <laughs> I mean, it's funny and knowing like her personality, it sounds like that may have been like a jokey joke, like sure, like a disco thing, but it's still like, that's not a good album. It's not title. a good name. Dies no. and whispers. <clears throat> um, she also did a cover of the Julie Gold song from a distance in 1990. What are you giggling about? <laughs> which one of us is thighs and which one of us is whispers? 
I mean, Julia, I think at this point we're both thighs, you know, <laughs> very strong. It's just very, we have very strong lower bodies and that's good. It's a positive. It's a net positive. <laughs> that's our code names. <laughs> um, thighs. This here's whispers. We we're to clean up no the streets. <laughs> uh, sorry, sorry, sorry. So no, you said no, it's From totally a Distance fine. was a cover? Yeah, I didn't know that either. I didn't know that. Um, from a Distance. Uh, which, if you th- listen to the lyrics of that song, it's like, from a distance, the world looks beautiful. It's actually, it sucks. Um, from a distance, God is awesome. If you get closer to God, he does not care. Like, it's, it's not oh, a nice boy. song. So it was a hit. Um, it was it was off her seventh studio album called Some People's Lives. Uh, it topped the Billboard Adult Contemporary charts again, got platinum. And then the same year, she starred along with uh, Trini Alvarado as the title character in John Ehrman's drama film Stella. Uh, the movie Stella. scored mediocre reviews, uh, but she received her first Razzie Award nomination for Worst Actress. Um, she co-starred with Woody Allen in Scenes from a Mall in 1991. It did not do well. It received mixed reception from critics. If um, if you weren't telling me this, I would think that was a made-up movie title. Scenes from a Mall? Yeah. yeah. It'd be like, like a, a subplot in like a, you know, a, a different movie or like a TV show. Yes. Yeah. You know, it's not great. I mean, it's a Woody Allen movie. You know, it's bound to be not great. Um, So... She had another 1991 project for the boys, um, and it was a historical musical drama telling the story of 1940s actress and singer Dixie Leonard, uh, played by Midler, who teams up with Eddie Sparks, a famous performer, to entertain the American troops. Um, It received mixed uh, reviews from critics, but she earned rave reviews for her portrayal, and she was awarded her second Golden Globe and received her second Academy Award nomination for Best Actress for that movie. Mm, Okay. Um, she turned down the lead role in Sister Act in 1992, which instead went to Whoopi Goldberg. I think she would have been great in that, too, although Whoopi is amazing in it. Oh, sure. Uh, she won an Emmy Award in 92 for her performance on the penultimate episode of The Tonight Show starring Johnny Carson in May 1992. So what happened was it was actually this says penultimate, but it was actually the last episode, I think. Um, she was of the one of two people who were the last like guests on his last show that okay. he chose. The other one was Robin Williams. Mm. And she sang uh, one for my baby and one for more for the road to Johnny Carson. And it's, if you've ever seen it, it's on YouTube. If you see it, it's very sweet. Like they've been big fans of each other for years and years and years and years. Mm-hmm. She comes on the show every so often. Like she's really quick with singers and you could tell that they're really good friends. And she's singing this song to him She's on stage and she's like looking at him and he's sitting at his desk and the camera keeps cutting back and forth to them. And he just like has his head in his hands and is just like beaming, like Aww. just loving every second. And you can tell that it's just like two performers, two entertainers who just like love the hell out of each other and are just like so into how good each one is. And it, it's, it's very sweet. Um, So that was amazing. And then she sang here, Here's That Rainy Day, which was Carson's favorite song. And then he joined in with her and they sang a little duet. Um, and then in 1993, and again, we talked about this before the, <laughs> the episode started. We're terrible millennials. 
But she starred with Sarah Jessica Parker and Kathy Najimy in the Walt Disney comedy uh, Hocus Pocus. She was Winifred Sanderson, the head witch of the Sanderson sisters. I have not seen it. I have You have seen not it. seen it. We are we are not afraid to admit it yeah. in the month of December that we yeah. haven't seen Hocus Pocus. And I wouldn't not, say this in October. I wouldn't no, say it in October. No, absolutely not. We'd then we'd be going to the ground. People would be telling us all the times and dates we can tune in to the... Yeah, uh, exactly. <laughs> what, channel, what channel exists anymore? Freeform? Yeah, Freeform. Go to Freeform 31 days of Halloween. It's on 16 times. <laughs> it's, not, it's not that I didn't want to. It's that I never got around yeah. to it. And I feel like now... I'm too, too old late. to watch it. Yeah. It's too late. I'm too old to watch it. I'm going to think it's stupid. It's all over. It's okay. It's not for everybody. Yeah, we're not dissing it. We no, just absolutely seen not. It. I don't know anything about it. <laughs> it was it was released to initially mixed reviews. The film has achieved, as you know, cult status over the years. Um, in relation to Hocus Pocus, every year she hosts her annual Huluween costume party, which benefits the New York Restoration Project. Um, she also uh, did an Emmy-nominated version of the stage musical Gypsy. Uh, I think she was um, Mama. Uh, and a guest appearance as herself in Fran Drescher's The Nanny. <laughs> um, also, most famously, she appeared on Seinfeld in the 1995 episode The Understudy. Most famously. <laughs> More than any of her. More than uh, anything else. 30, 30, Three-fourths of the way to an EGOT. Um, <laughs> she was in that one episode of Seinfeld playing herself. Um, where she gets hospitalized for getting hit by a softball. I don't remember what I happened, why she got... Kramer slid into her oh, or something. Oh, Kramer slid into her in the softball game. And she was starring in Rochelle Rochelle, the musical version of Rochelle Rochelle. And she sings a couple bars of from Milan to Minsk. <laughs> no, Rochelle, the title song, Rochelle. Yeah. Rochelle, Rochelle. Like it's, it's so good. It's a great episode. It was the season finale of the show's sixth season in 1995. Um, that same year, she had a supporting role in Get Shorty. Uh, she also had a 1997 HBO special called Diva Las Vegas, which earned her a third Emmy Award. Um, and her other 1990s films include The First Wives Club from 1996, which is a great movie. So 90s. Um, she received, along with her co-stars from the film, Goldie Hawn and Diane Keaton was... Uh, a recipient of the Women in Film Crystal Award, which honors outstanding women who, through their endurance and the excellence of their work, have helped to expand the role of women within the entertainment industry. Oh, um, their smart sur- skirt suits and their shoulder oh, pads yeah. and their little like dance and the get them getting drunk and oh, it's just it's just a great movie. Oh, it's so and that movie is so gay. Oh, it's so gay. <laughs> um, she released her ninth studio album, Bathhouse Betty, in nineteen ninety eight. Um, which was named after the nickname she was given for performing in the bathhouses early mm-hmm. in her career. Um, she started her own sitcom in 2000 called Bet, which was her playing herself, um, who was a divine celebrity who was adored by her fans. It aired on CBS. Initial ratings were really high. It was the best sitcom debut for the network in more than five years. But then viewing percentages soon declined, and it resulted in the show's cancellation in early 2001. So hmm. that's why you don't remember it. Because it barely it barely lasted. Um, she was awarded a People's Choice Award, however, for her performance in the show and received a Golden Globe Award nomination the following year. Um, the same year, Midler starred in Isn't She Great and Drowning Mona. And in Isn't She Great, it was a highly fictionalized account of the life and career of author Jacqueline Suzanne. And she played alongside Nathan Lane and Stockard Channing. 
Um, she portrayed Suzanne with her early struggles as an aspiring actress, relentlessly hungry for fame. Her relationship with press agent Irving Mansfield and her success as the author of Valley of the Dolls and her battle with and subsequent death from breast cancer. I mentioned this movie because when I worked for the Sue Anjanette Costume Collection at Syracuse University with my good friend Jeff Mayer, um, Jeff was perusing the internet one day and discovered that there was an auction of some clothing from the movie Isn't She Great? <laughs> and he bid on and won an Emilio Pucci dress that Bette Midler won as Jacqueline Suzanne in the movie. And we received it, we got it, and we picked it up, and it was tiny. Wow. It was She yeah. is the littlest thing. And then for, I think, a solid calendar year, we'd be like, would you like to see Bette Midler's Poochie? We have <laughs> Bette Midler's Poochie in the collection. We can pull out Bette Midler's Poochie for you if you want to see it. <sighs> I know, we're disgusting. <laughs> so anyway, it was largely negatively reviewed. <laughs> Uh, she received her second Golden Raspberry Award for Worst Actress for this. Oh. Um, then, you know, Mona, uh, Drowning Mona, she was with Danny DeVito and Jamie Lee Curtis. It was another critical fiasco. So not great couple of movies. So after nearly three decades of erratic record sales, she was dropped from Warner Music Group in 2001. Whoa. Um, she had a reported longstanding feud with Barry Manilow, but then they joined forces after many years in 2003 to record Bette Midler Sings the Rosemary Clooney Songbook. <laughs> the album apparently was an instant success and it was certified gold. Um, she toured the United States in her new show throughout 2003 and 2004 called Kiss My Brass to sell out audiences. Um, she also appeared in a supporting role in Frank Oz's science fiction satire, The Stepford Wives. I don't know if you saw that. I saw that mm, in theaters. Yeah, yeah. That didn't do well either. Um, uh, she joined forces again with Barry for another tribute album called Bette Midler Sings the Peggy Lee Songbook. That did pretty well. Um, and it was nominated for a Grammy Award. Uh, she also had a Vegas show titled Bette Midler, The Showgirl Must Go On at the Coliseum at Caesars Palace in 2008. Um, it comprised the Staggering Harlettes, which was 20 female dancers called the Caesar Salad Girls and a 13-piece band. Um, the show played its final performance on January 31st, 2010, and it was nominated for a Primetime Emmy Award for Outstanding Variety Music or Comedy Special in 2011. Um, she also had a compilation album uh, called Jackpot, The Best Bet, was released uh, in 2008. And as her only film appearance that year, she had a small role in Diane English's comedy film, The Women. That did terribly, too. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, that did. That was not a great movie. Um, in June 2012, she received the Sammy Kahn Lifetime Achievement Award at the Songwriters Hall of Fame in New York in recognition for her having, quote, captivated the world with her stylish presentation and unmistakable voice. And then she co-starred alongside Billy Crystal in the family movie Paternal Guidance in 2012, which apparently did better than expected. I do not remember I don't that remember that at all. No. Um, in 2014, she released her 25th overall album called It's the Girls! Uh, the album spans seven decades of famous girl groups from 1930s trios, the Boswell sisters and the Andrews sisters to 1990s R&B legends such as TLC and their single Waterfalls. So Bette Midler did a cover of Waterfalls and I really should have made it the thinking music, but I'm not going to because I feel like it would just be mocking. Um, in March 2017, she began playing the role of Dolly Gallagher Levi, continuing through January 2018 in the Broadway revival of Hello, Dolly. Mm -hmm. She won a Tony Award for that. Yeah, um, she was made for that part. 
she was absolutely made for that part. She returned to it in uh, July of 2018 to close out the run of the successful revival. Um, she's still working. In 2020, she starred in The Glorias, which was a biographical film revolving around the life of Gloria Steinem. She portrayed the role of Bella Abzug. Um, and she also starred in the second season of The Politician after previously guest starring in the first. She's written several books, uh, including Saga of Baby Divine, A View from Abroad, <laughs> Bette Midler Greatest Hits, Experience the Divine, and The Wind Beneath My Wings. Um, in 2020, she also published a children's book entitled The Tale of the Mandarin Duck, based on a story of a rare duck seen in Central Park. <laughs> yeah. Do you remember Do you know that? that Do you remember yeah. that, like, week when yeah. <laughs> that cool, pretty duck was in Central Park? And everybody was like, ooh. Those were the days. Yeah. <laughs> when a duck in Central Park would just, like, turn the world upside down. Um, she also played Miriam Nessler, a retired teacher from New York in HBO's Coastal Elites by Paul Rudnick. Um, just a couple of interesting things about her. She's been married to Martin von Hasselberg since 1984. She has one daughter, Sophie von Hasselberg. She is also an actress. Um, in 1991, Bette Midler was an early sponsor of Adopt-A-Highway, paying $2,000 a month for a crew to clean up a two-mile section of the Ventura Freeway in Burbank, California. Wait, 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 wait. Yeah. So... So by her adopting the highway, that means she's yes. paying for someone to clean it up. I always thought adopt a highway meant you were out there cleaning it up. So here's the thing. Now, wait. So signs at both ends of the section read, litter removal next two miles, Bette Midler. The location was so prominent that it became fodder for her 1993 guest appearance on the Simpsons episode, Krusty Gets Canceled, where she is seen picking up trash along a stretch of highway she has adopted and causes car crashes for drivers who deliberately litter. Time to take out the trash. I'll get you for this, <laughs> So no, apparently it just means you pay for other people to clean it. This changes everything. I really I, thought that that meant you were out there. Like you were oh, out there well, just like it's June first. Time so for wait me to go do my litter pickup. So this is why you've resisted ever since I suggested that we do a misinformation stretch of the throughway. Yeah. You're like, you no, know, I don't have time for that. Out there. I don't and have I'm time like, for that. I was like, what do you mean you don't have time for that? <laughs> if they don't even give you the pointy stick with the. Yeah. And then the, the vest so people don't hit you. Yeah, apparently. Yeah, you just pay for it. Um, in 95, she carried the same idea to the East Coast. She adopted a section of the Long Island Expressway and Bronx River Parkway. Um, she also founded the New York Restoration Project in 95. It's a nonprofit organization with the goal of revitalizing neglected neighborhood parks in economically disadvantaged neighborhoods of oh. New York City. Um, so she's she's also like built a bunch of community gardens and saved a bunch of community gardens from commercial development in New York as well. Um, they took ownership of 60 of the most neglected plots and like revamped them. Um, and she even like uh, adopts some schools and has children come and like mm. work in the garden and, you know, can they, so they can like get food and stuff like that. It's really cool. Um, also ever since the first Gulf war, she goes to the USO on, on basis to show her gratitude to military members by serving them meals just before deployment. So she's not like singing anymore, but she is like scooping out, you know, hash or whatever. Um, so as Casey Kasem reported in 1973, 
Quote, she's faster than a speeding bullet, is louder than Ethel Merman, has a bigger nose than Barbara Streisand, is shorter than Mickey Rooney, and more outrageous than Mick Jagger. She is an eclectic ripoff artist who takes off on 40s musicals, Carmen Miranda, and the Andrews Sisters. She's the divine Miss M. Kind of sounded like a little bit of a backhanded compliment there, but okay. <laughs> yeah, I mean, knowing her, she seems like she would be cool with that. Like that yeah, would be funny. Like she for would, her. you know, be able to laugh at herself. And- yeah, absolutely. She's she's very funny on Twitter, I will say. Um, she has definitely stepped in a couple of times because let's be honest, she's a you know, she's an older she's 76, she's an older white lady. Like, you know. She doesn't always say things that are that great, but <laughs> she's, she's quite funny. Um, so my quiz today is called divine women, a quiz on female saints. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> Question, number <laughs> Question number one. Question number one. Let's start with an easy one. This famous French saint has been immortalized in art and literature, as well as in the modern age, with a character based on her in the early 2000s cartoon Clone High and in the Smith song Big Mouth Strikes Again. What saint am I referring to? Question number two. Saint Lucy, or Lucia, is often depicted in art holding her own eyeballs on a plate, thanks to accounts that say either she was tortured by persecutors and had them gouged out, or she took them out herself after a suitor complimented about how beautiful they were. Seems extreme. Why don't you just say thank you? Because of this, she is understandably the patron saint of what? Question number three. A more modern female saint is this woman who was beatified in 2003 by Pope John Paul II, not long after her death in 1997. She was a fierce advocate of the poor and destitute, spending much of her life serving in Calcutta, India. Who is this saint? Question number four. St. Wilgefortis, a popular saint until the 16th century, but relatively unknown today, was a teenage princess who had secretly converted to Christianity and refused to be married off to a pagan ruler. After her father threw her into a dungeon, she prayed to God, who then blessed her by having her miraculously grow. What? Question number five. Poor St. Bibiana saw her parents martyred, her sister Demetra forced into prostitution, and upon her continued refusal, Bibiana was imprisoned in a madhouse, then flogged to death. But when she passed away, a church was built over her grave, which is located in a garden, which grew an herb that cured headaches and epilepsy. Because of this real A to D kind of thinking, St. Bibiana is the patron saint of what malady that you definitely experienced more than once in college? Question number six. St. Catherine of Alexandria is considered one of the 14 holy helpers in the Catholic Church, which basically means it's an elite team of saints who are particularly good at intercession for you and your problems. She is best known for how she was tortured, which was a common medieval torture called being broken on the what? Question number seven. Another 14 holy helper is St. Barbara, whose father killed her because she converted to Christianity. See a theme here? Almost immediately afterwards, he was struck by lightning and killed. Obviously, because of this dramatic denouement, St. Babs is the patron saint of what potentially dangerous holiday display? Question number eight. St. Clare was an early medieval saint who started the Poor Ladies of San Damiano, a group of ascetic nuns who took vows of poverty very seriously. St. Clare and her sisters wore no shoes, ate no meat, lived in a poorhouse, and kept silent most of the time. Their lives consisted of manual labor and prayer. Later, she developed a chronic illness and couldn't leave her bed. 
Because of this, she could not attend mass, but was reportedly able to miraculously see and hear it on the wall in her room. Ironically enough, because of this story, she is now considered the patron saint of what? Question number nine. St. Christina the Astonishing story is, well, truly astonishing. After dying from epilepsy at 21, she rose from her coffin at her own funeral and then levitated up to the ceiling, later explaining that she couldn't stand the smell of the sinful people there. Throughout her life, she would throw herself into fires, but suffer no burns and would spend hours or even days in a freezing river. She sometimes allowed herself to be carried by the currents downriver to a mill where the wheel whirled her around in a manner frightful to behold, yet she never suffered any dislocations or broken bones. She also was chased by dogs who bit her. She was often jailed for suspicion of being possessed. Therefore, it's not surprising that she is the patron saint of people who suffer from what? And finally, St. Lidwina, a Dutch saint who is possibly the first documented case of multiple sclerosis. After falling on ice at age 15, she began progressively disabled and frequently shed parts of her body, which gave off a great smell that attracted people from far and wide. Thanks to the unusual way in which she started her illness and eventual death, she is considered the patron saint of what recreational activity? We'll give you a minute to think about it, and we'll be right back with your answers. I can't believe it! The last, the last guest, the last fool, Mr. Carson, will have to suffer gladly. You are the wind beneath my wings. Oh, well, he is. Quarter to three. There's no one in the place except you and me. So set him up, Joe. Got a little story I think you should know. We're drinking, my friend, to the end of a sweet episode. Make it one for my baby and one more for the road got the routine so drop another nickel in the machine how's that catholic school treating you huh well i'm saying <laughs> catechism we didn't we didn't get like the cool stories we only got like the oh like everything's a sin yeah <laughs> yeah and Stories. this and this great saint girl didn't do no. any of those terrible nah, things we didn't get still any was murdered we didn't yeah. get any of that we got like looking at your horoscope as a sin and talking to the boys on the phone as a sin <laughs> but i didn't get to learn about christina the astonishing <laughs> i know right man i would have paid more attention if i learned about christina the astonishing <laughs> anyway okay here we go Question number one. Let's start with an easy one. This famous French saint has been immortalized in art and literature as well as in the modern age with a character based on her in the early 2000s cartoon Clone High and then in the Smith song Big Mouth Strikes Again. What saint am I referring to? That is Jeanne d'Arc or Joan yes, of Arc. That is Joan of Arc, nicknamed the Maid of Orléans. Uh, she said that she received visions of the Archangel Michael, St. Margaret, and St. Catherine of Alexandria, instructing her to support Charles VII and recover France from English domination late in the Hundred Years' War. Charles VII sent her to the Siege of Orléans as a part of a relief army, and she gained prominence after the siege was lifted only nine days later. And in May of 1430, she was captured uh, by a group of French nobles allied with the English and was later handed over to the English and put on trial. 
on a variety of charges, and she was declared guilty and burned at the stake on May 30th, 1431, dying at 19. She was beatified in 1909 and canonized in 1920, which seems late. Mm. I feel like she's always been a saint, but... You know, like one of those <laughs> saints that's always been around, you know, take advantage of it. Anyway. <laughs> All right. Question number two. St. Lucy or Lucia is often depicted in art holding her own eyeballs on a plate. Thanks to accounts that say either she was tortured by persecutors and had them gouged out or she took them out herself after a suitor complimented how beautiful her eyes were. Seems extreme. Just say thank you. Because of this, she is understandably the patron saint of what? How about optometrists? Uh, you know what? I'll give it to you because it's like the blind eye mm, disease, mm-hmm. optometry, that kind of thing. Yep. <laughs> um, in art, she's usually holding her, her sand balls on a golden cup or plate or occasionally combining the eyes with a palm branch, uh, giving a kind of surrealist feel to the whole thing. To answer your question, she still has eyes, like herself has eyes, but she has like an extra pair of eyes, like hanging out on a plate. <laughs> Because just before, she, just because after she died, miraculously, the Lord gave her eyeballs back. So, um, question number three, a more modern female saint is this woman who was beatified in 2003 by Pope John Paul II, not long after her death in 97. She was a fierce advocate of the poor and destitute, spending much of her life serving in Calcutta, India. Who is this saint? That is Mother Teresa. It is Mother Teresa. Her official saint name is Saint Teresa of Calcutta. Um, she was canonized in 2016 by Pope Frank, uh, by the by. Um, St. Teresa of Calcutta is the patron saint of World Youth Day, missionaries of charity, and a co-patron of the Archdiocese of Calcutta alongside St. Francis Xavier. Her feast day is celebrated on September 5th, if you are interested. Uh, question number four. St. Vilgefortis, a popular saint until the 16th century, but relatively unknown today, was a teenage princess who had secretly converted to Christianity and refused to be married off to a pagan ruler. After her father threw her in a dungeon, she prayed to God, who then blessed her by having her miraculously grow what? Yeah, I've never heard this story either. Um, (laughs) I'm going to say she grew wings. Oh, so close. She grew a beard. Uh, she prayed that she would become repulsive to her betrothed, and God said, sure, how about a beard? So the wedding was called off, and her enraged father had her crucified. Um, in England, her name was Uncumber, as in uncumbering oneself from a man. <laughs> um, she's also been described as a transgender saint and is sometimes hmm. seen as a patron saint of the gender fluid. Um, she is also the patron saint of relief from tribulations, in particular women who wish to be liberated from abusive husbands. She is also, as you might imagine, the patron saint of facial hair. How about that? Uh, yeah. Um, actually, uh, I would highly recommend taking a look at the St. Wilge Fortis. That's W-I-L-G-E-F-O-R-T-I-S, the Wikipedia page, because there's a lot of like speculation on whether or not they someone just like misread an early image of Christ that they were like, Oh, it it's, it was supposed to be an early image of Christ being kind of like gender fluid biblically, like God is neither man nor woman kind of thing. So Christ wears like this long, what looks like a dress, but it's actually like a tunic. But later people were like, that must be a woman. Huh. So, and yeah, so there's like some interesting speculation about whether or not Wilge Fortis was like an actual saint or was like a real person ever. Um, but yeah, it's a cool thing. Yeah, <laughs> it's that's that was uh, 
I would almost guarantee that you would not have learned about that in catechism anyway. No. So, um, question number five. Poor St. Bibiana saw her parents martyred, her sister Demetra forced into prostitution, and upon her continued refusal, Bibiana was imprisoned in a madhouse, then flogged to death. But when she passed away, a church was built over her grave, which is located in a garden which grew an herb that cured headaches and epilepsy. Because of this real A to D kind of thinking, St. Bibiana is the patron saint of what malady that you definitely experienced more than once in college? Is it hangovers? It is hangovers. <laughs> um, her name, as you might imagine, comes from the Latin word that means to drink. Mm-hmm. Question number six. St. Catherine of Alexandria is considered one of the 14 holy helpers in the Catholic Church, which basically means it's an elite team of saints who are particularly good at intercession for you and your problems. She is best known for how she was tortured, which was a common medieval torture called being broken on the what? That's a wheel. It is a wheel. Um, Funnily enough, they didn't even get to torture her on it, since when she touched the wheel, it miraculously shattered. Um, She was then beheaded, where she bled holy milk instead of blood. Uh, the wheel is best known as a Catherine wheel, even to this day. The other thing was I spent too long trying to figure out like, wait a second, what does being broken on the wheel mean? And it basically means you get tied to the ground and then someone takes a big wheel and then they just drop it on you a bunch of times. <laughs> wow, so it doesn't even really have to be a wheel. No, it doesn't. It could be a big rock. Like That's I don't understand stupid. why it has to be a wheel. It's so dumb. And then it, you know, they start at your legs, so it's a torture. So like, it breaks your bones all the way up to your up your body. But like, I thought it was like I thought you were like t- okay, okay. Here's what I thought. No, I, I bet thought, it's the same thing I thought. All right, <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were like tied to the spokes yes. of the wheel, so yes. that your hands were like and that your you hands were like like Vitruvian like man kind of. Yes, exactly. That you're on that, and then uh, <laughs> I don't know what happened from there. Maybe they rolled you down a hill. <laughs> I thought maybe like they just spun it and you just got really dizzy. Like they just spun it for a really long time. <laughs> <laughs> like the Price is Right wheel. Yes, like, just... the pri- <laughs> like the Price is Right wheel. Like <laughs> Exactly. But no, they just drop a wheel on you. It's so... That's ugh. dumb. Yeah, it's not inv- inventive at all. Um. Okay. So St. Catherine of Alexandria is the patron saint of a ton of things, including, but not limited to, in alphabetical order. You ready? Unmarried girls, apologists, potters, spinners, archivists, dying people, educators, girls, jurists, knife sharpeners, lawyers, librarians, libraries, maidens, mechanics, millers, hat makers, Nurses, philosophers, preachers, scholars, school children, scribes, secretaries, spinsters, sonographers, students, tanners, theologians, the University of Paris, haberdashers, wheelwrights, and the countries of Philippines and Greece. They just, they just didn't know what to do with her. She just they got just, all the leftovers. She just got all the leftovers. Yeah. They're like, eh, you know what? Just toss Girls, them in the pile of St. Catherine. Students. Girls, maidens. Stenographers. Yeah. Okay. Question number seven. Another 14 holy helper is St. Barbara, whose father killed her because she converted to Christianity. Sense the theme here. Almost immediately afterwards, he was struck by lightning and killed, obviously because of this dramatic denouement. St. Babs is the patron saint of what potentially dangerous holiday display? Is it fireworks? It is fireworks. She is also the patron saint of artillery, miners, and just basically explosions in general. So there you go. 
Uh, question number eight, St. Clair was an early medieval saint who started the Poor Ladies of San Damiano, a group of ascetic nuns who took the vow of poverty very seriously. St. Clair and her sisters wore no shoes, ate no meat, lived in a poor house, and kept silent most of the time, and their lives consisted of manual labor and prayer. Later, she developed a chronic illness and couldn't leave her bed. Because of this, she could not attend mass, but was reportedly able to miraculously see and hear it on the wall in her room. Ironically enough, because of the story, she is now considered the patron saint of what? How about television? It is television. See, that doesn't make any sense. I know, it doesn't make any sense. She was designated <laughs> this in 1958 by Pope Pius XII. She is also the patroness of eye disease, goldsmiths, and laundry. So there you go. <laughs> so there you go. What's the common link here? Yeah, uh, none, zero. Again, I feel like they were like, well, we need a patron saint of uh, horses. Who? What, what do we got? Anybody who's got horses in their story? And they're like, nah, I don't know. <laughs> How about St. Edmund? He, there's a letter where he mentions his horse. Great. He is a patron saint of horses. <laughs> the end. Uh, okay, here we go. Question number nine. St. Christina, the astonishing story as well. Truly astonishing. After dying from epilepsy at 21, she rose from her coffin at her own funeral and then levitated up to the ceiling, later explaining that she couldn't stand the smell of the sinful people there. Throughout her life, she would throw herself into fires but suffer no burns and would spend hours or even days in a freezing river. She sometimes allowed herself to be carried away by the currents downriver to a mill where the wheel whirled her round in a manner frightful to behold, yet she never suffered any dislocations or broken bones. She was chased by dogs who bit her, and she was often jailed for suspicion of being possessed. Therefore, it's not surprising that she is the patron saint of people who suffer from what? I don't have an answer, but it sounds to me like she's a vampire. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it sounds vampire. Yeah, the levitating thing is um, wild. How about, how about mental illness? You are absolutely correct. Uh, she is the patron saint of people who suffer from mental illness. She is also the patron saint of mental health workers and also millers because of her, you know, ride around the mill wheel. <laughs> you can't say that the Catholics don't have a good sense of humor. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> finally, <laughs> finally, question number 10. Uh, finally, St. Lidwina, a Dutch saint who is possibly the first documented case of multiple sclerosis. After falling on ice at age 15, she began progressively dis disabled and frequently shed parts of her body, which gave off a great smell that attracted people from far and wide. Thanks to the unusual way in which she started her illness and eventual death, she is considered the patron saint of what recreational activity? I mean, I'm kind of concerned about her limbs just falling off. Um, I mean, I would have just, my snap judgment would be ice skating. You are absolutely correct. It's ice skating. She was canonized in 1890 by Pope Pius XIII. It was like her limbs so. kept falling off. and Yeah, it was like her skin and then it was like her intestines and then her her parents would like put them in jars because they smelled so great. And so people, I know. And then people would like come and they were like, ooh, this was this wonderful smell. And then finally she was like, mom, dad, could you please just like bury my parts because I don't like the attention. So they buried her body parts until she finally died. You know, we don't really hear about stories like this these days. It's, mm -mm. it's as if those stories were written down in a weird manner and <laughs> passed along. And yeah changed hmm. throughout time yeah. i don't know just saying i mean no, i think I, if we knew of someone in like guatemala whose 
limbs were falling off and smelled like cinnamon buns that, yeah. you know, we'd probably have seen a TikTok about it by now. We would have seen a TikTok about it by now, for sure. Do you remember, like, in the 90s, there was a rash of, like, s- statues of Jesus or Mary that would, like, weep? Oh, yeah. Remember that? Well, the, like, a prayer video did that. Yes. Yeah. That was, like, a big deal for a while. There were a lot of people who would, they would, like, either weep blood or they would, like, cry and people would come from yeah. far and wide to, like, see it. Do you remember when there was a rash of, like, toast? That yes. had like the face of the Virgin Mary on it, and people yep. would like sell it on eBay, eBay, for yeah, thousands of dollars. Yeah, Jesus on toast. Like, yeah, it was a weird time. It was before the internet, you know. Like a Cheeto Jesus too. Yeah, was one. Cheeto Jesus. I remember there was a a tree that's bark grew in the shape of like yes. they thought it was the Virgin Mary, and so people came from far and wide and like worshipped in front of it. It's such a weird thing. Anyway, how about well, that? Divine Great December, job, everybody. Great job. Great job, <laughs> Lauren. Thanks very much. Yes, um, that was, yep, the Divine Miss M. What a wonderful div- topic to cover during Thank Divine you. December. Thank you. I'm very excited to see what you choose next week. Oh, well, me too. I mean, no spoilies. <laughs> But um, thank you, everybody, for listening. We hope that you have a divine December. Absolutely. May we we spread spread some some divine sprinkle dust all over your lives, and we hope that it's divine way up until January, and then we'll come up with a different theme. I guess. <laughs> Maybe I don't know. We'll keep going with it. Yeah. Whatever. Yeah. Um, well, thanks so much for listening, and we will catch you next time. Goodbye. Bye.